Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening and truly making us the best in Baltimore. Today, I'm in conversation with an award-winning indie documentary filmmaker and a director for the Saul Zients Innovation Fund, as well as an instructor for Baltimore Youth Film Arts. Please welcome Annette Porter. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm really excited. I love your, your I love your program. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciated it. And thank you for um, being a part of this uh, ongoing conversation. I, I like to look at this is just like this podcast says I got a bunch of people in a room and it's like, all right, you come up, let's have a conversation. <laughs> and then, all right, we're done here. Next person. And that's that's the way it feels like sometimes, but in the best possible way. Um, so for starters, I like to go very, very, very simple, um, you know, I guess simple. Uh, can you share the Annette Porter story and how uh, you first got involved in the in, in filmmaking? Oh, sure. Um, you know, it's really interesting. From here, looking backwards, it actually seems like there's a path and a logic, but I can guarantee you it was not straightforward. <laughs> it, um, it wasn't predictable, and there were a lot of times when I was on that path where I had no idea where I was going. And I, I share that oftentimes with uh, young filmmakers, because it sounds sounds like a plan, but I was always fascinated with photography. Mm-hmm. So visual communications was important to me. Um, as a kid, I would stare endlessly at National Geographic, at old, even old postcards that I would find, anything with pictures on it. And I kind of thought there was this going to be this, I don't know, magical kind of process. If I stared long enough, their stories were going to enter me and I would know everything about them. Um, and my father also traveled a ton when I was was young internationally, and he would come back with always some different artifacts of the place he was in. And um, also, um, then he would bring lots of pictures. And mm-hmm. at the time, it was slides. So we would have these slideshows, and I would watch incredible scenes. Uh, he was in India, and there were women who were passing uh, and so, of course, I'm on I'm on a podcast, and you can't see what I'm doing. I always talk with my hands. My apologies, but women who were passing cement in um, shallow trays on their heads in, in when they were building something, and it was like this amazing story of women over machines because they could go around corners and up ladders and and all over the place, um, and that that stuck with me. Sure. But I started making photographs then in, in high school. Yeah. And the first, I had a great teacher and he, he got me to start understanding how to bring them about. And again, it was film. So there was a magic in watching them develop. Um, and that was all really, really fun. And I, but it always remained my, like, it was like my guilty pleasure. You know, I never could imagine myself professionally being a photographer. It was, I was never, I never knew any photographers. I was, it was never offered up as an option. I never really saw anything like it. So I couldn't imagine it. So it was just this thing I did over here. And in the meantime, I went to business school, became a consultant, and then I would disappear periodically and and go to workshops and and um and make, you know, just immerse myself. And then I think the first time I did anything professionally was I was diagnosed with cancer and and lost all my hair with chemotherapy and started making pictures first of myself just as a way to cope with, with being, with going bald and losing my eyelashes and eyebrows. And then I started doing it for other people. It was all a volunteer, but it was, you know, I had a client, which were these women who also had lost their hair. Um, So it's still in the realm of photography. And then once, uh, and another sort of crisis after my my husband died, I got involved in a campaign to try to 
um, help people who were campaigning against bullfights and bull fiestas in Spain. Oh, wow. It was really, it was an amazing campaign. And I joined and then a friend of mine and I decided we would make a film. We had no idea how to make a film. We had no idea what we were doing, but we were filled with passion. We had a teeny bit of cash and we just started doing it. And that, that was my forever. I'm a filmmaker moment. I mean, I, it took me a long time before I could call myself a filmmaker, but from then on, that's what I did. Yeah. I, I think having the, the passion to do something. And, and I think that's what I usually ride off of. Like I'm riding this wave. I always joke about it of passion. Obsession is a new one and a little bit of spite. There's a little bit of spite in there, but I think those that get you through sometimes when you have very meager, uh, finances to, to fund something. And I think, you know, people try to get to the spot. Oh, I don't want to get started because I don't have the funds and so on. It's like, make something. Just, just yeah. make something. And, and and it's funny I'm saying that because what we were talking about beforehand, um, I have a buddy who wants to do an anime. And I'm like, just put together something. And just, even if it's a sketch, I was like, that's what they call adaptations. I was like, you know, we, I was like, we've seen several. You know, I think of the 12 o'clock boys here. And I turned into Charm City Kings. And, you know, not to say that work wasn't done on that, but that was a, a documentary sort of film that turned into like a featured, like fictionalized version with a major like distributor. So, I mean, it's, it can happen if you just have that passion, I think. I think so. And I think, you know, it goes a, a long way. And and as you say, just make it experiment, try. I think sometimes people get too focused on doing it right or yeah. making a perfect thing. It's like, try and fail. It's, it's That's good. You learn. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, it's not a failure. Maybe, maybe it didn't work out like you expected, but it might've taken you somewhere else. Has there, has in that, and this is interesting to me, has there been an instance where you've had a, a project that you were working on documentary or anything that you were working on within film that started off like, all right, this is the goal. This is the intent. And then somewhere you want really left, but it turned out really cool. It's like, you know, kind of, I guess Bob Ross would say the happy accident. So what have you, were, were there any examples of that? Oh yeah. I mean, I think almost all of them end up being happy accidents, right? <laughs> um, I, I just got off a zoom call now with a, 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 a project that started with the idea was I'm producing it. And with the director was, it started off as an idea of a documentary. It morphed into a narrative and actually where we're going to end up is with both one of each. So nice. there are lots of happy accidents. I think um, the film I made about flying up Africa uh, was about a, the first person who ever flew up Africa was a female. Yeah. And I was fascinated by the story and we wanted to do female stories. And then, then this crazy crazy English woman wanted to do it herself in a, an open cockpit biplane. And, um, and the whole trip was a bunch of happy accidents. We had it all planned out what we were going to do. And, um, you know, then we were supposed to go, for instance, you know, we were flying in each country and we had to clear customs twice. And we had a chase plane with 250 pounds of equipment we were in and out and, you know, in every single country, I mean, we were supposed to be in Zimbabwe and all of a sudden the, the, the visas that we had were were no good. Oh, for, no. I mean, they were good, but then they were declared no good. Oh, no. And you know, what do we do? And so as it turned out, um, the protagonist and I flew, got in her biplane. We couldn't bring the rest of the crew. And we just flew it up by ourselves. And I had the camera in my hand. And we, we landed. And 
it turned into just a wonderful scene of the movie because it was crazy. And they're like, who are these crazy women? We're like, we're going anyway. You may not let us through. And it, it turned out to be one of our favorite scenes. And they met us with old cars, that, you know, the classic cars that were sitting, had been sitting in Zimbabwe forever. And it was, the whole scene is a hoot. And it would never have happened. It was not what was planned. What was planned was boring in the end. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that that brings me to this question. I feel like it was almost a natural segue there a little bit. Tell me about the reality of directing films as an independent mm-hmm. filmmaker compared to some of those expectations. Because that right there, it, it just seems like problem solving on 11. It's like, we're going to make this happen. We're going to figure it out. Well, that's really, that's it. So it's funny, like what's the reality versus the the fantasy or imagined imagined version? Um, You know, it's both like super much messier, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing goes according to plan. And it's also so much more detail oriented. So you really have to get down. And and I I tend to be more macro. I, I like to work in teams where I've got somebody who's much more micro also. So it's a nice balance. Yeah. But this, but directing is, it's both in some ways you just, you get mired into the just tiniest of all minutia and you yeah. have to be, and you have to live with that. And, and your friends get really sick of you <laughs> because what started off as a really interesting story has now become Super boring, right? It takes seven years, might take five years to make a documentary, yeah. and you're still talking about the same thing. So all those fun stories have become now really one more time. You know, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna miss you. So um, but on the other hand, you what's always exciting to me is you, you know, plan for the best, but you're prepared for the worst. Yeah. As it often comes through. And I don't know, I love it. It's all about people. Love documentaries, which means things can go not according to plan a lot. So I would imagine, like you know, having that background and and strategy and communications. Also, a business major, so uh, you know, representing uh, having that background and strategy and communication, like comes comes in handy, like being able to rely on some of some of those skills, some of those tactics that that are there. Is that is that true? And what ways does that background like kind of help you in in your approach to filmmaking, or even in your approach to collaborative um, collaboration and filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true. It is um, this that what was fun about documentary was all of a sudden my secret passion and my love of of visual arts um, married up with everything I had learned in consulting. <laughs> yeah. So we used to say consulting, a lot of consulting was um, management by storying around, you know, telling so you could might figure out things, but you had to be able to figure out the story to tell the client. So that was important. And it's like figuring out a puzzle. That's like any story. What's the story? What are the main beats? What are the what are the things that are important? What's the subtext? What's the what's the big story? So those are really similar. There are a lot of similar skills. Interviewing. As a consultant, I was always interviewing people. I was setting up interviews. I was trying to understand their business. I was trying to understand why, you know, what was special about one competitor over another. So that that was a skill. Um, and then <laughs> to be really practical. Uh, so a lot of the skills are the same, but the pay scale is super different. Mm-hmm. So I was able to make money as a business consultant that I'm now spending as a, as a filmmaker. You know, it's just, it's not, you don't make as much money as a filmmaker. And so being a business person first mm-hmm. helped me then become an artist. You know, I, I w- wish that the, I wish it wasn't so, but that's, that was what it was for me. 
I'm kind of seeing that now my myself in this vantage point of people are reaching out and, you know, consult here, consult there, help people kind of realize their passion while and it was something that that D Watkins mentioned about this, this idea of people being perceived as overnight successes. And he's like, that doesn't exist. And hmm. and I was I was thought about it. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm finally getting a little, you know, you know, a little rub here and there. And I was like, I've been doing this for a long time. And I was like, this is this is actually the the, the most stable career I've been in. And you know, 13 years, almost 14, is not a short period of time. But at the same time, it's not definitely not not overnight. Yeah, I I, I don't know anyone actually who's an overnight success. I know people who are overnight recognized, yes. but they're not an overnight success. So <laughs> they've been at it for a long time. And I sort of look at all of it as, I mean, if anything, my metaphor is like recycling, you know, I might earn something here and that allows me to do something over there that yeah. allows me to support this over here. And um, that's, that's just the way I look at it. Suffice to say, I'll never be a billionaire. That's just fine. <laughs> But I'm going to be making stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember when I was m- like much younger, and I, I I took a few film classes, and I was really into like Kevin Smith stuff or what have you. And I remember listening to um, one of his talks, and I think that's that proto sort of oh, you're doing these like talks, you're doing these like Q and A sessions. I was like, I kind of like this side of it, and then it being filmed or what have you. And I just remember him sharing like the, this idea, and, I, and I've heard it from multiple people about. Oh, I filmed my first movie through like credit card debt to like panicking and panic inducing credit card debt. Yeah, exactly. That's another way to do it. That didn't that that fills me with anxiety. <laughs> same, same. I'm like fills me with anxiety when I hear young filmmakers doing it. It's like, ooh, so much can go wrong, and it can take so long, even if it if it if it pans out in the end. You've yeah. got to be able to keep the lights on. And and I think that's where, you know, one of the things you were touching on that's really, really cool. And I think I'm witnessing it as well. Having that 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 business, that strategy that, all right, what is this line item right here? How can I have some strategy around this versus just going? And I think being able to this and this was maybe a marketing sort of thing that I was doing, maybe marketing sales, but the good, better, best of it. And that's the way I try to budget out things. If someone is like, hey, I want to consult, I want you to consult for me and so on. And they're saying, this is my budget. I'm like, all right, I can do this at this rate, or I could do this. It might be less episodes. It might be, and how do we fit within it that it's serving the person or what have you, but strategy goes into that, I think. And communication goes into that. Things that I think when people are just doing their thing, that's sometimes lost. And I go back to maybe the first episode and just sometimes like people who are doing their art and doing their work they need to have that business class just to kind of give them that quick refresher. Like here's that nudge, here's some, how to stay afloat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, you know, it doesn't do you any good to make only one, one piece and then go out of business. You've yeah. got to be able to sustain yourself in between what you're creating. Yeah. And I, I prefer sustain. I, I don't like scale. I, I don't know why it's just something <laughs> feels weird about scale to me. Well, see, I, me too, because I don't, I don't, I don't have a vision of of making lots and lots and lots of movies. So that we yeah. means scale. Yeah. But what I do have a vision of is making um, rewarding films, fulfilling films, films I want to make. And I don't know that there's a number. So it, it doesn't feel like scale to me either. I, I understand what you're saying. 
So then, and that's a nice way to kind of circle back into some of the the filmmaking questions. I want to ask you about um, directing. So, how would you describe your directing style? And do you have any like filmmaking like signatures? Like, is there a certain type of shot, certain subject matter that really resonates with you that you're like, I'm attracted to these sort of pro- projects? It's a super interesting question. So I, I'm, and it's interesting because I'm doing a lot of producing now. So if I think back on on the directing, I do too. Um, I think probably the biggest signature has been finding ways of really incorporating the the person's real input into the film. Yeah. So when I first started, there was always a joke around. It's like, oh God, it's a net net's project. There's going to be before GoPro it was a flip cam. There's going to be a flip cam on it, and I was <laughs> tying them onto dancers so we could see different angles. I was hanging them from ceilings so I could see them kick up to the top. And then GoPro was like, I mean, I was in heaven. And so then it was a big joke. I was like, how many GoPros is she? Gonna- <laughs> so I mean, I, I I was thinking about this. I I so I, it's always been that. Like, how do I get? how do I get your point of view? How do I really get into you and and take it out of me observing you? And so I started doing more and more video diaries. And the first ones I did actually was with Baltimore Youth Film Arts, teaching them. And then we came up with a way that people would record video diaries. I'd have them put them into the cloud and I would watch them or they had a private file if they didn't want anyone to see them. But another one where they could have the privacy of telling their intimate stories but yet then have me be able to come in and be a witness. So it worked out. And then when I, by the time we did a formal interview together, I knew them in a very different way. I wasn't, I hadn't edited their stories. I had, I had simply listened to them. And so that probably of anything, that's, I think the thread that, that, that comes through, I just made a series of short films for um, an NGO called, um, the, it's a female campaign for education in, in Africa. Um, it used to be called CAMFED, but now it's just called the Campaign for Female Education. And um, we made a series of five films in Ghana. Yeah. And these were all, um, I've used video diaries and a team of filmmakers, the same kind of way. And they turned out to be some of my favorites. So that's really, I think, my signature is trying to get in, whether it started with GoPros and now video diaries are a big part of it. That's great. I I, I may have had a flip cam here. I may have a GoPro here. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things that doing that, I, there, was, there was a video, um, a couple videos that uh, we did and put on YouTube uh, for a different podcast I was doing. And the the studio apartment I lived in had this kind of cage set up that I had all of my like Funko Pops and stuff on. And the camera was like positioned right there that you could just see us. It was not a good shot at all. <laughs> I kind of feel like really bad about it, actually. It's like I've taken a film class. It's like, you know better than this. But I was like, this is the only way I could use the remote to turn it on and to try to sync it because I remember hating editing <laughs> so much. <laughs> and because I was good at it, I, I'm, I'm very good at cutting, especially with, with doing this as well. And um, I remember in the film class, I just remember uh, people would come to me, hey, uh, can you um, edit my, my film for me, my, my student film? I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and then they would twist my arm. And I, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I just just hated that that whole like looping through that same song. It's like, look, if it comes on tonight, I'm going to be really upset. I want to talk about... Um, Nylon films. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. So could could you could you share that with us? Because I, I when I when I was typing it in, you know, doing the you know the the Google search, 
you know, the Netflix or Google search or what have you, that popped up a lot. I did Google you. I, I felt like I was doing passive stalking. So, so, so tell me, tell me about Nylon Films. Well, I hope you only found good things about me. Nylon Films, it means that was really, it ties back to what we were saying. It was a, it's a way to, uh, it was a way to be practical about our filmmaking. I started it with a really good friend of mine in, in London. Um, Helen and I, and she, she had been producing films for broadcast and also for corporate work. And we decided we wanted to tell films from a female perspective and nylon came out of New York and London. And then we just, we also liked the name nylon. We liked the whole play on it. So we, we kept with nylon films. Um, And, you know, the first, our first business, the core of our business was stuff like we were doing infomercials, you know, Um, and for we did films for people like um the wax museum yeah and we did so we did like lots of content for their you know for their displays so we had the nobel prize winners there was a whole series on them and you know stuff that was practical but quite frankly paid the bills and meant we could we bought really good equipment and we yeah. had it there for documentaries because we we were we were thinking about it we had well for doing documentaries you really can be absorbed with one for years. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny, funny business, documentary filmmaking. It's not like other businesses I know where the documentary filmmakers, the way it's set up, you bear all the risk. Um, but there isn't actually a big payout in the end. It's it's flipped. You know, normally the people bearing the risk get the biggest payout, but you're still you're at the bottom of the food chain when when it comes to selling. So we thought, okay, how are we going to, we want to tell these stories. We know we want to, what are we going to do? So we started a corporate business as well. And then we also worked for NGOs. So we have a complete sliding scale. You know, we have different rates for different things that make sense. Um, I was really interested in dance and the arts world. So I do a lot of work for arts companies. And and I did a lot of work for the Rumberg Dance Company in London when I lived there. Um, And we did all their promotion, short promotional work. And I did all their archive work. So it for me it was a nice mix because you it's not just financial but it also was there were there were short things I worked on long things sometimes you'd find an idea for a long piece out of one of your corporate work and and vice versa so it it just it worked for us yeah. um and that's the model we stuck with I dig it I dig it and yeah I mean being able to take 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 something from Maybe something that feels like like I'm, I'm doing a few corporate things or a few contractual things and I'm learning different things out of that that I can apply to the work that I'm doing or what have you. And it's like I'm being paid to learn in, in, in some regards, what have you. So I'm getting something out of it or even those funds to kind of keep, you know, my, my editor happy or keep my assistant happy or what have you. So, you know, hey, I can pay you on time or what have you. And I think it ultimately is driving what one is doing. And um, yeah, I, I think that yeah. that's an observation I took from that. And we had great, like we could afford great equipment. You know, we could have the reds of, and that then Saturday and Sunday, friends and family could use yeah. <laughs> you know, ourselves. So it, it worked. It was like, Hey, um, you know, the documentary world isn't going to allow us to hire that kind of equipment, mm-hmm. but the corporate world, uh, um, you know, requires us to have it. So it, 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 it worked out. 
it's it's like that thing where you hear actors or filmmakers will say like um you know one for me and you know two for them and one for me or what have you <laughs> it's like oh okay and i find myself doing a little bit of that where you know i enjoy doing this podcast this is a lot of fun but i also do a movie review podcast so whenever i'm like getting some type of paid thing through through the, this podcast i'm like i'm going to be funding this movie review podcast i want to talk about predator for 2 hours and that's what, <laughs> and that's what i'm going to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we're we are it's I feel really blessed that I I get to kind of scratch all these itches, if you will. I mean, I I I I've I have broad interests over deep interests, I think, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, so business degree administration, marketing, what was your what was your business degree? I got I got an MBA um in business international business and strategy. Yeah, I, I remember some of the stuff that you said. I just had the, the undergrad, but uh, business administration, you know, concentration in marketing, but business administration. And I uh, I really kind of had that approach that you described. I was like, I'd rather have a broad versus this very specific because it just, I don't know, it, it's almost like, I like baseball, right? It's almost like you're a closer. You can only do this one thing. You have this one skill set. And I'd rather have a little bit of all of these different things. I think that that's more valuable. And I can bring in people who are specialists in those particular areas. And I think that helps me succeed or helps me at least have a direction and strategy. That's what worked for me. You know, strategy was was interesting to me. And and I mean, I know a lot of really weird things about, uh, you know, I know about the kind of V-belts they use in the mining industry. I've been out to, you know, I've, I've been out on oil rigs looking at, at, at workflow. So I know really random things yeah. um, about a lot. And that was much more interesting to me than knowing sort of everything about Doritos, say, you know, I mean, having that that singular approach. I mean, I know a lot about Doritos, though. So. <laughs> I know only one aspect of good. <laughs> yeah, right. See, there you go. That's the most important one. So let, let's talk about the uh, Saul Zentz um, Innovation Fund and um, your role within it. And um, ultimately, what what is it about the fund that resonated with you? Uh, you know, now now we're getting something really close, close to my heart. Uh, um, the Innovation Fund, I'm the director of the Saul Zentz Innovation Fund. And it is a an incubator fund that was started up to really help promote filmmaking in Baltimore and Baltimore ish, or you know, the greater Baltimore region. Um, and and to give voice to underserved voices. Yeah. People's and I always say it's like people whose stories have been overlooked, um, ignored, uh, stolen. <laughs> um and and really to give that voice. So we're, we're focused on, for, for starters, we're we're focused on an area that's not LA or New York, which are the hubs mm-hmm. of the kind of filmmaking. So we have different geographical uh, experiences right here. And as we were talking about, there's a culture of Baltimore that's different from a culture of elsewhere. So in that way, um, we're focused on, on kind of the underserved, but we also, we are very much focused on finding voices, women, people of color, people who have been underrepresented, Latina voices in the film industry. So we take great pride. I always say we don't look anything like Hollywood in terms of the numbers, and we like that. Yeah. <laughs> we like that very much. So we're sort of near 70% um, overall people of color in our yeah. in, as fellows and somewhere between 60 and 70% females. So almost the mirror opposite of Hollywood in yeah. terms of the numbers. 
so that's kind of, that's that's who we are, and we support people through. We've got we bring people in every year, a new crop of fellows, um, and they go through something an intense story lab where I get I'm able to bring in 20, 25 independent film producers from all over. Now we have them coming in internationally. The filmmakers love coming here because they're working with people, and I've heard them describe as like these are raw stories, these are personal stories, these are people really committed. So we have this great group of filmmakers who come down. We spend an intense weekend on their stories. We have screenplay labs for them. We've got producers labs. So every fellow gets that. They get one-on-one mentoring from these amazing experts, and then um, about seventy-five percent of them we also fund. We put about a half a million dollars a year into emerging artists' work. Wow. That's, yeah, it's exciting. And it's, it's, um, I always call it gold dust because it's, it's, you can be a very green project and get funded from us. We're not looking for, we're not out there looking for the diamond in the rough for that one home run. Um, yeah. although in fact, a number of our fellows are hitting it out of the park. They are, they are doing that, but that's not, we're looking at raising up the entire industry. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I, I love it. I, I, I have never done anything that I enjoy more. That's great. Um, so again, maybe one, maybe one and a half real questions left before we get to those <laughs> rapid fire okay. ones. Um, so if, so for this, this kind of, like, you're making me nervous. About no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so this next like crop of like filmmakers, these, these fellows and such, like what sorts of stories is it, you know, I get personal and I get some of these like, just, a lot of times they're underrepresented. So it's going to be things that are maybe in that lived experience or alternative perspectives that we often don't see or often is like, oh, this is, you know, the, an indie darling or what have you. But what sorts yeah. of stories do, you know, are you kind of like seeing or, you know, in the last, let's say, year or so, what kind of stories are you seeing? It's interesting. I'm seeing a gathering momentum for hybrid docs where, you know, where people are using both documentary and narrative storytelling together. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing that growing, and I find that a really fascinating field yeah. um, to be working in. I'm really excited because I see so many stories where, where um, the stories themselves look more like my lived world than mm-hmm. the stories that necessarily come out of the, the, the big studios. So, so the protagonists are of all different flavors, the, you know, the supporting stuff, it just looks, it looks more normal to me. And, and I, 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 I'm thrilled by that. And, and that kind of diversity across everything, I, I think makes better storytelling, makes better filmmaking and, and it's less rarefied. It's less this, oh, you have to look this way to be an actor. Why? I mean, that's one of the reasons I may not have gone into acting or anything along those lines. One, I don't read lines, but um, it's like, yeah, like where, where's the uh, the where's the six foot four chubby black guy protagonist with the hairline? Where, where's that guy? I'm looking for a very specific guy. Where, yeah. Where's my guy? Where's where's yeah, my guy? Where's damn that? it! Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and what what I know about it at at Zen's and what I'm really thrilled about is we look behind the camera mm-hmm. also, like we do in front of the camera, and that's. That's still missing in Hollywood. So we're diverse on we're diverse on both in front of and behind the camera. And yeah. I want to see that. I want to keep seeing that. And I want to see people, not only at sense, I want to see people challenging that, saying, I want, I'm not gonna, you know, I might be able to command the salary, but I'm I'm not gonna work on this set unless my female counterpart makes the same. I'm not gonna work on this project unless 
we have, uh, unless when I look out at my cameramen and camera women and sound people, it's diverse. Yeah. And, and this is more of an observation. That was actually the, the last real question uh, as I think about it. But I, I did have this observation where you want more you know, kind of like more diversity in terms of the stories that are going out there. And that's representative of the people that are working on, on these projects. And, you know, just macroly speaking, and one of the things that I've wanted for a long time, you know, that I'm like, no one's done that yet. No, no one has any interest in it. Like, um, like where's, where's my easy Rollins story? Where's my, like, you know, like that's the stuff I want. Like, you know, we got a reboot of Perry Mason. That's that's great. I enjoy it. But it's like, where is my Easy Rollins story? Where are these kind of like the, these stories that don't fit? It seems like it, it has to be something that falls into a certain type of story. And that's kind of speaks to me that it's not enough of the people behind the movies that look like me who are trying to do that. And and that's the thing that's that's odd. It's still like it's it's movement in a direction, but I, I feel like more of it. So having like the, the fund and helping like you know filmmakers kind of get that leg up and to move into being able to tell potentially different types of stories that often aren't told with different types of people who are working on it. I think that that leads to hey, I worked on this project. You know now I'm going to work on my own later, or what have you. That leads to growth and people feeling like oh I can do this and. You know, that's the type of stuff that really interests me. Um, I, I remember a few years back, this is so ridiculous. I did uh, four hours of free radio at a high school or what have you. I didn't know it was free, so it's a whole different thing. But <laughs> I did like four hours of radio and um, and it was just to show like, you know, these these kids that look like me, you know, like black kids in, in Baltimore, like, oh, yeah, this is you can do this. I'm, I'm regular, I'm a regular guy, what have you, you can do this. And really being able to show it and say, hey, come on over, let me show you how this this works. Whereas usually it would be, oh, don't touch that, that's expensive. Or why are you touching that? That's not for you. And I think being able to do that in like a film setting and seeing that it's not rarefied and seeing that, you know, pretty much have a story and we'll help you punch it up, we'll help you get it to where it needs to be at and really take you through you know, the, the, the rounds. You, you learn something, you're able to grow that you're, you can make these next great films, these next great documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going way back to what we were saying about, about, about failing, one of the way, reasons I like being early mm -hmm. and, and being able to give seed money to things is that if you wait, you're waiting until somebody makes it by then, um, you know, they're, they're going to be afraid of failing. Yeah. There's like the stakes are too high. If you're the one black woman making a film, you know, you got you got the weight of the world on you. All the pressure uh, we is on be, you. <laughs> yeah, we want to be early. We want you to be out there, you know, trying. So I think that that's a good space for us to kind of stop and, and hit these rapid fire questions. Okay. Oh. Um, it's all good. <laughs> they're They're fun. They're good questions, mostly. Okay. Some of them. I don't know. <laughs> At forty percent, it's fine. It's fine. We're, we're not going to recover. We're not going to recover. Um, so I'm going to start off with a relatively easy one: popcorn with butter or not? Mm, no butter. Okay. But salt. Okay. All right. I, I, I like I like a buttery popcorn. I'm, I'm one of those. It's like give me the fat. Don't give me the high blood pressure. Just give me the fat. Just give me all of the. <laughs> You're right here. Uh, 
So I read that you're comfortable uh, in a corporate boardroom as well as high altitude, like in Chile, like in the Chile, in the trail in Chile. So what is the oddest place that you've shot? Oh, the oddest place has to be in a, um, <laughs> a, a an abandoned airport in Greece that we had to land in because we were running out of gas. Mm-hmm. And we I filmed a scene where we were in this air, this little biplane. We land and we filmed the scene going there with somebody from an airplane club who took us to a gas station and we filled it up and we hoped that that gas would work in the plane. <laughs> that was my that was my oddest little <laughs> that's very <unplanned> specific. Yes. <laughs> um you, well, because I asked you this before we got started, you know, I want to ask you now. What would be a good spy name for you? A spy name. Um <laughs> Depending on who you are, it might be persistence. <laughs> Double O persistence. <laughs> yeah. Double O persistence. Persistence porter. <laughs> so others others might call it double O irritating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh what's your favorite place in Baltimore? Mm. And it, and it may change. It's just like a place that let me let me take out favorite. When you think of Baltimore, what is a, a place that comes to mind? You know what I've been loving lately in Baltimore is walking along that boardwalk, um, just down from from uh, Fells Point all oh, the yeah, way yeah. around. It's just really, really nice. I mean, I kind of disappear into another zone, and I had I maybe it's because I've just recently kind of been introduced to it. But I love that. I love looking out of the water. Yeah, it's nice. Um, and you can walk for a long time. Yeah, you can actually. Yeah. Uh, so this is the la- this is the last one, and this is more of a a true or false. And um, if you want to add some extra, like, you know, seasoning to that, feel free. (laughs) But um, I read this quote earlier that really is sticking out to me right now is uh, facts uh, tell, but stories sell. Is that true? Facts tell, but stories sell. Yes, I I would say true. Very true. Um, That's what that whole thing I was telling you, saying we we used to call consulting management by storying around. It didn't matter what your analysis was. If you didn't tell a good story to be able to sell it. It, you, you might as well not have done the, the research. Yeah. I'm all about the story. There you have it. Um, that's pretty much it for the for the day's podcast. So um, I want to, one, thank you for coming on to this podcast. And Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, two, I want to invite and encourage you to, um, you know, share anything in these final moments that you feel like we didn't really key in on and uh, tell fine folks where to uh, check out the fun, your work, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to encourage people to um, really check us out at the Saul Zentz Innovation Fund, uh, which is zentzfund.com, and um, and apply. If you've got a story to tell, let us help you tell it, you know, is sort of our moniker. We we really, we, we believe that. Um, and I think, you know, I just, I, I'm such a fan of Baltimore. We, we've got such a great creative community here. Yeah. And I think, um, the more we all recognize that, the better it is. I don't think we have to be feel like we're the poor cousins or less thans or anything. I'm like, wow, it's Baltimore. Yeah. And and we love it. <laughs> so uh, listeners can pop over to uh, zensfund.com to uh, get more information, right? That's great. Zensfund.com. And if you want to find me in the doc world, it's at Nylon Films. Co.uk since we started in the year in London. Nice. 
Well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Annette Porter for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there are like the next generation of filmmakers in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for them. Oh,